You can listen to The Front on your smart speaker every morning. To hear the latest episode, just say, play the news from The Australian. From The Australian, here's what's on The Front. I'm Kristen Amiot. It's Monday, November 27. Labor is in a nosedive. That's according to new data from Newspoll. It shows the government's primary vote has fallen below its 2022 election result for the first time, with the major parties now tied at 50% on a two-party preferred basis. The government has struck a deal on gas supply. Environment Minister Chris Bowen will today announce a scheme that ensures the nation's east coast has enough gas for the rest of the decade. But the Greens are threatening to tank the mandatory code of conduct. They say it's tacit support of new gas fields amid a worsening climate crisis. The first hostages freed as part of a ceasefire deal between Israel and Hamas were reunited with loved ones over the weekend. But the fragile deal almost fell down at the first hurdle when each side accused the other of violating the terms of their agreement. That's first up. Plus, later in the episode, we unpack the WBBL's history-making moment at the SCG. It was a moment of joy after weeks of sorrow. A nine-year-old boy runs into his father's arms after 50 days of captivity. Ohad Munda was taken hostage by Hamas on October 7. His ninth birthday came and went while he was in Gaza. Ohad, his mother Karen, and his grandmother Ruth were among the first Israeli hostages to be freed as part of a four-day ceasefire deal between the Israel Defence Force and Hamas. More were expected to follow, but early on Sunday morning, Hamas balked. The terrorist group claimed the humanitarian aid delivered to Gaza as part of the deal was insufficient. But the United Nations confirmed 137 trucks carrying food, water and medical supplies had safely reached northern Gaza on Friday, with another 185 trucks arriving the next day. Eleven ambulances and three coaches also arrived at Al-Shifa Hospital in Gaza to assist with evacuations. The IDF gave Hamas just four hours to come good on its promise, or else it would resume operations in the Gaza Strip. The next round of hostages being released will go ahead after a dispute between Hamas and Israel was resolved. These are live pictures now. The The second group of hostages was released as planned following interventions by US President Joe Biden and negotiators from Qatar and Egypt who helped to broker the deal. 13 more Israelis and 39 Palestinians were let go, along with seven foreign nationals. Among them was nine-year-old Irish-Israeli girl Emily Hand, who was believed to have been killed when Hamas stormed Kibbutz Barei on October 7. Her father, Tom, later gave an emotional television interview in which he expressed relief that she hadn't been taken by Hamas. They just said, we found Emily. She's dead. And I went, yes! Because that is the best news of the possibilities that I knew. She was either dead or in Gaza. 
And if you know anything about what they do to people in Gaza, that is worse than death. That is worse than death. But Emily is alive, and now she's back with her family after her ordeal. In the aftermath of Sunday's release, Hamas was accused by Israel of violating the terms of the deal. That's because 13-year-old Rotem Shoshani had been released without her mother, Raya. Under the terms of the agreement, children weren't supposed to be separated from their parents. Hamas argued that Israel was in violation because it reneged on an agreement to release Palestinians who'd served the longest time in Israeli prisons first. US President Joe Biden said on the weekend he was hopeful that further releases would proceed as planned. As I said, today's release are the start of a process. We expect more hostages to be released tomorrow, and more the day after, and more the day after that. Under the agreement, a total of 50 Israelis and 150 Palestinians are expected to be freed. On Sunday evening, the office of Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu tweeted that it had received a list of hostages due to be released on the third day of the ceasefire. It said the list was being canvassed by security officials and added that the families of those hostages had been informed. So far, 26 Israelis, 78 Palestinians and 15 foreigners have been given passage to safety, with the recovery operation expected to resume this morning. Coming up after the break, the Women's Big Bash League makes history at cricket's most hallowed grounds. A troubled young woman. Her evil parents... We never had any issues between us. Has justice been done? I'm in a prison. Join journalist Richard Gilliatt as he delves into one of Australia's most gripping cases. Shadow of Doubt, a new podcast investigation from The Australian. I cannot find one of these allegations that's possible. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. To understand the history of the women's game at the Sydney Cricket Ground, you have to cast your mind all the way back to the late 1880s. In those days, it was known as the Association Ground, and women were regulars in the on-site tea room. Until April 15, 1887, few, if any, had ever set foot on the pitch. On that day, two women's teams, the Fernleys and the Sirocco's, played the first ever women's cricket match at the SCG in front of 600 spectators. They wore long, frilly dresses replete with petticoats and ornate hats. Their stiff, heeled shoes would have surely torn up the meticulously cultivated pitch. At the time, it wasn't considered appropriate for women to engage in public displays of physical activity. But the squads impressed with their cricketing prowess, and these were extenuating circumstances. A month earlier, 81 men and boys had been killed in a mining disaster in the New South Wales town of Bulli. The charity match was staged in support of the Bulli Relief Fund, with proceeds donated to another group of women, the widows of miners killed in the blast. Yesterday, the Women's Big Bash League carved out its own place in the SCG's history when it hosted the WBBL's first standalone matches. Up first was the Hobart Hurricanes and the Adelaide Strikers, 
with the defending champions, the Strikers, sailing through to Saturday's final. Here we go. Caught. Another wicket. Derailed is the cane train now. The second half of the Sydney Derby was appropriately contested by the Sixers and the Thunder. And through. The icon of women's cricket slashes through the offside for four to give the Sydney Sixers a memorable victory against the evil arch enemy in their eyes, the Sydney Thunder, in front of seven plus It's a monumental milestone in a league that's gone from strength to strength since it launched in 2015. Back then, the women's Big Bash games served as a kind of curtain raiser for the men. Now, it's widely considered the leader in women's cricket, attracting world-class players and record crowds. They've become reliably good enough to be put on a big stage like that. Will Swanton is a sport reporter with The Australian. The superstars of women's cricket, the Elise Perrys and Alyssa Healy's and Ash Gardner and those kind of people, they've always been extremely watchable. The Australian team has been full of terrific players who you'd very gladly pay money to go and watch. But the problem for cricket was getting enough players to fill a competition. So the whole competition itself and then inside that, each individual match was strong enough and competitive enough to A, pull crowds, and B, once that started happening and once the product was terrific, then they could start to get what they deserve, which is games at the SCG. And the MCG in Adelaide Oval. You know, the way the Sydney Sixers game finished, you've got Elise Perry, most likely the greatest ever women's cricketer, scoring a beautiful unbeaten 80. Like, you've got a superstar like that on a superstar's ground. And the funny thing with superstars is they invariably come up with a superstar performance when you want them to. It's one thing to be given the stage, but then the women's game as a whole has to prove that it's warranted. And just proof of how far women's cricket has come. On Saturday, the Adelaide Strikers will host the WBBL 09 final at the Adelaide Oval. It's one of three hallowed grounds to host standalone WBBL matches for the first time this year, with the Melbourne Cricket Ground and the SCG, as we've heard, rounding out the trio. Wants to go aerial again and very nicely taken indeed. Hayley Matthews, the skipper. Sets the tone here on the MCG. The Strikers will go into the home ground final with eight season wins and just three losses under their belts. You've got Talia McGrath, Darcy Brown, Megan Schutz, who are just three sensational players. I mean, Talia McGrath's potentially a future Australian captain a bit further down the track. For the pure quality of cricket, they are just fantastic. Whoever Adelaide ends up playing will be a fantastic opponent. In these nine years, it's evolved into like a truly entertaining tournament. Despite yesterday's victory at the SCG, the Sydney Sixers are out of the tournament. Now, the Brisbane Heat and the Sydney Thunder will meet in tomorrow night's Eliminator match. And then the winner of that match proceeds to the Challenger on Thursday against the second-ranked Perth Scorchers. And of course, whoever comes out on top in the Challenger will face the Strikers in Saturday's final. It's shaping up to be a huge week of cricket and a fitting end to a historic run for the women's game. I think the great thing with finals for any sport at the end of any tournament 
is it's amazing how often the superstars prove why they're superstars because they have this amazing knack of being great when their teammates want them to be great, when the sport itself wants them to be great. So for the game to have Italian McGrath and a Darcy Brown and those kind of people sitting there waiting to play in the final, one thing they've got now is just a proper group of true superstars. The women's game is in such a great situation that there's probably eight genuine superstars in Australian women's cricket and there's more than likely to have half a dozen of them in that final on next weekend. Will Swanton is a sport reporter with The Australian. Bruce Lerriman will return to the witness box in Sydney's federal court today. The former Liberal staffer is suing Network 10 and journalist Lisa Wilkinson for defamation, following a 2021 TV interview that he says identified him as Brittany Higgins's alleged rapist. Mr Lerriman has always denied any sexual contact occurred. Subscribers can follow our ongoing coverage of the trial at theaustralian.com.au. I'm Sarah Lamarquin, Editor-in-Chief of Stella and host of our podcast called Something to Talk About. Every weekend we publish a new episode where you'll hear compelling personalities, strong opinions and thought-provoking conversations. I wanted to be able to do it in my time when I was ready and speak my truth when I was ready. The topic of when do I become a mum, that is in my mind 24-7. Search for Something to Talk About wherever you listen to your podcasts.